0: Good morning. Welcome to Timebox. Uh, my name is Sean Cornelli, and I'm sitting here with the Infinagon to my circle, Dennis Becker. Good morning, Sean. Infinigon. That's a good one. Yeah. Hey, I come up. See what I do? <laughs> yeah. I come up with a different one every time. Yeah, I see that. It's yeah. It's a podcast thing I picked up. Yeah. It's how you make good pod. Good Just pod. Real good pod. Just. You know. New catchy thing.
1: Yeah, so for
0: Testament. those of you that aren't familiar with our extensive backlog of podcasts, uh, this is Timebox, uh, where Dennis and I meet uh, bi-weekly to discuss a topic that Dennis has no idea that I'm about to pick. It usually orbits around progressive education, um, agile in education, economics and education, those types of, of things. Um, and I surprise Dennis with the topic, and then we have a predetermined amount of time that I pick. For us to talk about it. <laughs> and when I'm done talking about it, I say the time box is over. And that's exactly how Agile is supposed to work. Yeah, it sure is. Nailed it. Shit. Nailed it. Um, so, Dennis, today, we will be talking about... Are you ready for this? I am ready. Do you have any guesses? No, I don't. You never do. No, I don't. Uh, we will be talking about abstract reasoning. Oh, okay. With, of course, the context of you know, secondary education and progressive education.
1: So the all the various levels that we get of abstract reasoning, humans. Oh boy, that's a great one.
0: There it is. Yeah, what do we do? Well, I don't know. You see, I'm a math teacher by trade, um, one of the respected old trades, like blacksmithing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, like you, you know, you get your horse shooed, and you go to your math teacher to have him make you uncomfortably familiar yeah. with parabolas. Yeah, tell me about
1: this abstract reasoning in math. That seems like that would be. Uh, super challenging because, like, this, doesn't this fly directly into the math is beautiful, except math class isn't?
0: Well, I remember when I got my first job uh, teaching. I was in a small school in rural Iowa. I loved it there. I loved the students, loved most of the families. Um, and I remember walking into one of the uh, other math teacher's rooms, and she had this giant bubble letter sign as teacher's. Sometimes do. Mm -hmm. Um, I would, of course, you know, hang myself rather than have a bubble letter sign. But she had one; it was great. I'm assuming it made the students feel very welcome and inspired them. And it said um, something to the effect of "Math is critical thinking." Sure is. Yeah, and I thought to myself, like, I I looked at that sign for a long time because we were doing a PD session in her room that day, and the PD session had nothing to do with anything I was working on, or you know, and wasn't you know targeted towards anything I was doing, which. We could talk about that another day. Yeah, lock that one in. Yeah, um, and I remember just thinking to myself, if math is critical thinking, then like the curriculum doesn't matter, and that like, I mean, pregnant pause there, buddy. Mm-hmm. Like, if the curriculum is arbitrary, and it's all about getting people to be comfortable with critical thinking, you know, like this idea that putting disparate ideas together to create a new idea. Right. Uh, being, thinking about your own thinking to see if you're, you're being efficient and being thoughtful, right? Yeah. That kind of critical, well then like, why are we failing all these people and not letting them graduate because of the, what is essentially an arcane Algebra two curriculum? Yeah. And then I started actually teaching and I realized that like, man, just because they're 17 doesn't mean they're ready for calculus. Um, in fact, it might actually preclude them from yeah, being, right. right? Yeah, in some and cases. In fact, the, the genetics of this critical thinking thing and, like, the rate at which people's brains develop to understand abstract concepts like symbology and symbolic manipulation, which is the core of high school math, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, everyone thinks high school math teachers are smart because they essentially have wasted their entire lives moving symbols that no one would ever actually pay them to move in real life. Right. Um, and so I realized there's, like, this genetic, uh, distribution, of readiness for abstract reasoning and it led me down a really bizarre educational path and I wonder how you've seen that sort of genetic variance in social studies you know
1: it, it I, I, I love the idea of the genetic variance where you know we do th- we do the best we can to get to the I, I suppose the median mm-hmm. of, of what we're doing right trying to trying to get that middle mark um, and then we try to uh, personalize the educational experience as much as we can for each for each individual little little student or young young human mm-hmm. you know um and in the classroom you would have to like you have a classroom of 30 you would have to have you know 15ish 20ish individual readings mm-hmm. to
0: actually hit that variance give me an example what is a abstract concept from social studies realm that you feel like is uh, a challenging thing to deliver to students because of the just varying degrees of mental age.
1: Alright so uh, the most abstract idea that is coming to mind right away is just in economics and almost the entirety of math based economics is an abstract idea where as soon as you have to say the words hold all else equal (laughs)
0: <laughs> like I don't even know. I know what that means. Uh, and, and I have and, like a degree in mathematics. And
1: I still can't really do it where it's like, but everything else isn't equal. Like I have that gnawing need to like, to have that exist in me where it's like, but all else isn't equal. Always. And so that, that, that is a concept that you need a student to hold on to in economics. While you teach them something new. Yeah. While you teach them something new to do any of it. To do any of the graphing, to have any of it make any sense at all, they have to be able to hold all else equal.
0: So if I want to talk about Target uh, Company and its production of pants. Right. And I want to talk about how they accidentally overproduced women's size 8 mm-hmm. pants. Yep. Right? Yes. We'll assume it's a legging. Let's be sure. fair. Yep. It's 2018. Yep. It's 2018. So. Yep, there we go. So... You're telling me that for me to understand that as a student, that that would drop the price of those particular leggings. Yeah. But I have to hold all else equal. Yes. So in my brain, I have to be able to say, well, the price of nylon didn't change. The yeah. price of elastomeres didn't change. The distribution of all these extra pants didn't cost extra fuel. Right. Like I have to hold all that equal yes. as if to they hadn't produced that amount yes. the week before. Yes.
1: For the, for the model, for those basic models to really make sense.
0: Yes. How many students do you think can do that in your your professional random sort of guess here, shot in the dark? How many kids can actually hold all else equal while talking about supply and demand? Um, Like truly do it, not just answer the question right, because you taught them. them Because I was just
1: going to say that. I was just going to say answer the question right or actually do it. Actually do it, it's probably, I don't know, 10%. How many adults? It's just not very many. It's just not very many people.
0: So, it's people not, walk out of... And I'm not trying to make fun of economics educators. No. I, I, in fact, feel like economics should be one of those courses where you have to take it over and over and over again and have I, its abstraction level change. Yeah. Like, I would give up a lot of the science we teach, and I love science. I would give up a huge amount of the math we teach if economics could be made a part, right? Of, of those fields, yeah. Of every other In, in that. Yeah. In the like, appropriate way, yes. Um, so... What's interesting here is, you know, I want to take it back to the, get back in the helicopter here. Uh, The idea of abstraction is, I think, something that, you know, we've talked here about math and symbolic representation, Mm -hmm. right, where you're going to have some symbol that represents some possible values, and you're going to manipulate it by dividing by x and multiplying by x and taking a negative square root of x to get rid of a positive square root of x and... The, 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 all these things that are symbolic that look smart yes but are actually just sort of flexing of the critical thinking complex uh, abstract reasoning. And it's the same thing with, with what you just said with supply yeah. and demand and holding all else equal. Why do you think and, and I'm, I'm actually a little bit scared that our conversation is about to become sexist or racist here uh, and I don't, we don't, I don't mean that at all here. I mean the when I reference the genetic variation of students, I mean between every single individual, not any sort of phenotypic pick. Well, yeah,
1: right? genetics are so complicated to tie. To right. tie the ability to abstract reason to also the gene that controls your race or your sex right. would be ridiculous. I just want to be clear that like yeah.
0: that is nowhere near where we're smelling. No, I like I have had identical twins who are at different abstraction levels. Absolutely, yeah. Genetics
1: are super complicated. We don't understand them.
0: No. So here we are looking at this black box that is the genetics of the student mixed with the epigenetics, how they were raised, Mm -hmm. how that is related to how they're going to express their genes. Uh, You know, the amount they've practiced these kinds of skills obviously matters. The amount that their parents understand it and are educated obviously matters. So you end up staring at a group in our context, the Iowa Big context. You end up staring at a group of students. Uh, you got you know five, ten on a team, yep. or you're looking at a classroom, you know eighteen, twenty five kids, yep. whatever. And every single one of them is a different mental age, with whatever topic you happen to be talking about. And then the dice re rolls tomorrow yep. when the topic changes yep. or the needs of the project change. Yes. So as a teacher, how do you deal with what appears to be like a? I don't know if that's a impossible job of differentiation
1: yeah i i think it is an impossible job of differentiation at least in the way that we're trained to do so now where when you have to keep like whatever the list of standards is when you have to keep that buried at the at the absolute core of what you're doing Mm -hmm. you lose the humanity of the person that you're dealing with like somehow you you put this list at the top level and the student comes in right under. I mean, it's close to the top level. And you want it to be the top level. But, it's, but a lot of times it, it slides in right under the top level. For me, it took, it took breaking out of the classroom to be able to put the student where the student belonged.
0: I remember that, that emotion that you're describing there is actually one that I had a lot as a, you know, I was teaching this rural school. So my student loads were, you know, variable wildly depending on the year. And I taught all those classes that everyone thinks are just the best. Right? AP computer science, AP calculus, AP physics. Um, Mm -hmm. Some days I would wallow into chemistry, right? But like, I remember there were days, and I'm not proud of this, where we would be covering something like uh, the limit definition of a derivative, which is a very early calculus concept, Uh, arguably important, I don't know, right? Right. Depending on who you are and how old you are. And I would sit there and I would think, if I could get through these four examples during the class period we had, then I had done my job. Mm -hmm. I had presented to them this really hard idea that I'm probably the only person in the building capable of teaching. Like, Aren't I awesome? And I don't know. You know, I didn't think that explicitly, right? But, you know, it's there. Yeah. And no matter what... You know, I would then give a quiz on it and see who got it, and then I was really compassionate. I would say, "No, you didn't get this right away. Why don't you take some time, and you know, we'll we'll assess this again some other day, and I'll change your grade." And that was like me being really kind. Mm-hmm. I never once said, "Hey, like maybe maybe the symbolic representation here, like how buried the concept of slope and limits and all this stuff, and then you're going know, to apply this limit definition to like any function and shape." Like, that's really abstract. Like, if you're not following us right now on this podcast, you're having the exact feeling that those kids had. Right. Right? Right. And I just remember being like, man, my job was to get through this material. And if a kid's not ready for it, which is the language teachers use, right? Mm -hmm. If a kid's not ready for it, you kind of just, like, bully them through it in the nicest way you can. Yeah. And I just remember feeling deeply unsettled by that. And I uh, I wonder what that feels like in social studies. Like when you know a kid is walking out and they um, still have those basic misconceptions about prejudice or race you know or i
1: i think you're you're talking about the emotions of a teacher, you know like this this is really where uh teachers in a public school drive themselves crazy mm-hmm. or at least i did and it and it is that idea that are it is the for me for me, it was the rationalization where I, at least I think most of them got it,
0: mm. Oh, like you're hitting the deep nerve. There. Yeah, and and I think most of them got it. And we when all it's not, said
1: that. And when it's not, and when it's not all of them, you can put the people that don't get it into that box of they're just not ready for it. Like this reading was too complicated for them. I remember I taught in a, co, a co-teaching classroom, and my co-teacher, who was delightful, um, I was really frustrated one day because a bunch of students didn't read the assignment, so like they didn't come to class prepared. Essentially. And they hadn't read and they were open about not reading. Mm-hmm. And I was, and the class ended and I was complaining about it. And she just politely in the kindest, sweetest way, she said, well, well, Dennis, if, if reading had kicked you in the gut since you were in third grade, how, how willing would you be to do this mm-hmm. as your homework tonight? Like, at what point would you say, I'm not going to do that anymore? Mm-hmm. Because I was giving essentially no support. I was giving no sort of guidance on understanding. I, I, you know, they're unsupported in what they're attempting to do outside of my class. They're trying to do it at home where they are by themselves. Mm-hmm. Like I had zero. And probably
0: reading. Of you're assigning a reading that's at their rung of abstraction or higher, right? Because that evidently is the goal of a high school teacher is yep. to stretch that, yep. whatever, yep. You know, make it seem yep. like a tiny college yes. or whatever, yes.
1: Um, and I thought, and I legitimately thought stretching those muscles. I mean, this is something maybe I'm, I'm wondering for you is these the abstract reasoning like, even if they can't do it, how important is it that they stretch those muscles to try
0: to do it? So now we're, we're getting to the question I think I really want to talk about. Um, it, the I've had this discussion with a lot of different educators. Um, and I've been a teacher for 10 years. Um, which is not, you know, whatever. I think it's not forever, but it's good. that's a good amount of time. Um, and I've had this conversation a lot because at first, I was really confused as to what to do because everyone tells me the job of the teacher is to serve the students and their families. But everything I see teachers do seems to be in service of covering standards, begrudgingly or not, mm-hmm. you know? And when we started big, I remember thinking, no matter what, we're going to serve the students and their families. And if that means that a kid, you know, it's kind of the special ed mentality. You you know, in special ed, they kind of have this, like, really great moment where they say, you know what, you really do have a disability. And in special ed, sadly, those disabilities are usually lifelong. But for me in math and science, the disability, and I'm doing air quotes right Mm -hmm. now, the disability is temporal. Yeah, They will age out of it. And that disability is their disability in abstract reasoning. And so I want to take a second to say, for me, I wonder if you agree. Abstract reasoning is the ability to hold multiple states of a system in your mind and play them against each other. Like, to play the play, to play the movie.
1: Like cognitive dissonance.
0: Yeah, to say, alright, well, if we do this to China, they'll do this to us, and then we'll do this to Canada, and then Canada will do this to Mexico, and then... But then you hold that eventuality, and then you say, "Okay, well, what if we had done it to the EU mm-hmm. and done it to then the EU did it to China?" Yep.
1: Yeah, it's everything, every like in social studies. It's alternative mm-hmm. histories. It's alternative government. Yeah, it's, it's like all the all the alternative imagining, but it's or future
0: tense. But it's mixed with symbology, where yeah. you start to wrap up those eventualities into symbols and shapes, and this is where math really loses kids, right? Mm-hmm. When I say that. Like, we, we talked about the derivative before. The derivative is a very important mathematical concept, right? It's one of the prettiest things humans have ever sort of discovered, right? And when you say, all, you do all this work to figure out how to find the derivative of a parabola, and then of a root function, and then of things that aren't really well-behaved functions, mm-hmm. or whatever. And then you wrap all that up into a symbol called f prime, or df dx, or df dt, or something like that. Uh, that act of wrapping up a big, long story into just the cover of the book and saying, you know what, you don't need the whole book. I want you to just walk around with just the title of the book and I just expect you to be able to access any page of that book whenever you need to mm-hmm. when when the next situation requires it. To me, that's abstraction. And honestly, like my interaction with most 16, 17 year olds is that they're not there. Yeah. But our entire curriculum in math and science, economics, English, is hellbent on treating them like they're 20, 21 years old. Right. And we just chalk it up to it being their first interaction with the material that they're bad at. It. Yeah. And I wonder, is that like, is that me giving up? Like you asked. Like no, do you do with I, no kid? I
1: don't think it's giving up. I think, I think you're, you're, to me, you're hitting at the heart of, of what we're doing. We like, how do you think about your, how worthy of your time is that activity? Like, we only have a little bit of time with these kids. Mm-hmm. Are we Are we really going to use all of it covering ideas and covering topics that they fundamentally aren't ready for?
0: And see, that's And point. how do we,
1: and, and secondly, how do we even know? Yeah. Like, when do we get to know what they are actually ready for? How long does it take for you to know? Because they walk in on day one into your classroom and it is like they're shot out of a gun. It's time to go. Mm-hmm. Because you only have these few days, you have all these standards. You have no choice. You got to go fast.
0: Mm-hmm. Bell to bell. Everyone's telling you you got to do projects now. Yeah. Everyone's making you feel guilty about anytime you do direct instruction. Right. Um, I, I just, I don't know. I don't really answer that because, you know, I'm looking at a, I was, I was sitting with a team yesterday yeah. and this team got a very sideways piece of feedback from their partner. And at Iowa Big, if you're not familiar, we all our students work on are these very enormous projects that have community-based partners, so companies, nonprofits, government agencies, and those partners uh, govern the the direction of the projects probably more than the teachers or students do. Um, and so I, I'm sitting there, and this partner gives this comment and says, "You know, we love this thing you wrote for us. It was exactly what we asked you to do, but." You know, we do this all day, and we've decided to go in a different direction, um, and we need you to redo a huge amount of work, mm-hmm. um, because this new direction is going to be way more important to our company. And to get the students to be okay with that... Was, to be okay
1: with a perfect piece of feedback.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, to get them to be okay with that struck me, uh, I, I did not anticipate them being angry, I didn't see it coming that they would be frustrated. Right. I didn't see it coming that they would be, um, like, they would not understand, right, why a company would decide to do that. And I just and why realized... why it's a good thing for them. Yeah. I, yeah. Oh, they're being included in this uh, really important corporate level decision for a really fast growing kind of cool company. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just, I, you know, I, it hit against me when we were having this topic. Like we I was thinking about doing this topic this morning, like... What those students lacked is the abstract reasoning to be able to understand um, the the systems at play. Yep. Like to understand the states and the possible wins and losses. You know, to a student, when they submitted that that work, it was a survey, um, when they submitted that survey, they expected to get a piece of feedback that said, well done, A, let's do it exactly how you planned it because you did some work. And I just realized, like, that's the most concrete way of thinking about, like, this, this concept. Yeah. And then I thought, God, what are we doing here at Iowa Big? Like, how can I be putting students in this situation where they can't possibly understand? Or maybe that's the point. Maybe, you know, back you to your original idea. I, I think that
1: is the point. Because when I would try to do that in economics, or when you would try to do that in math, I think the default of a student is, well, I'm just not good at this. Mm-hmm. And then if, if, we're t- if we're relying on math class to help teach abstraction, we're probably doing it wrong.
0: Well, I mean, even, I mean, that's just a, you would never do that in real life. No. You would never rely on one set of arcane no. skills no. to teach a huge life concept.
1: And, and maybe you're listening to this, dear listener, and you're thinking, well, that's not true. I don't just do that in math. I do that in social studies. I do it in English. I do it in science too. Well, Sure. But is there any connection? Is there any thread between those ideas where the student understands that this thing you did in math today, this is that same thing in social studies next week? They are tied together.
0: Yeah. And you might be better over here than you are over here. They're tied together as a mental process. Right. Right. And that's that's something that I feel like is very hard to... uh, It's just really hard to teach because... Yeah. You know, the... We've been talking about abstraction now for a long time, and even talking about it is abstract. Like, if I think if we had a student listen to this podcast, they would understand gibberish. It. Yeah. And they would just think it sounded like a bunch of, like, two white dudes saying smart words, right? Um, which is maybe what we should call the podcast.
1: <laughs> semi smart.
0: Right? Yeah. Quasi-smart, Quasi smart, semi yeah. words. Um, <laughs> um, It's. I think we have an endemic problem in, in American education, which is that we have said we're going to educate everyone, which is really pretty. Yeah. That's a, that's a very attractive, gutsy, ballsy thing to say. hmm But then the problem with that is we have an education system designed to work with students who are genetically older, mentally older than they physically are. Yeah. You know, whenever, even, and we even fall prey to this, you know, when I think of our best students, quote unquote, they're the kids who just happen to feel like they're in their 20s, even though they happen to still be in high school. Yeah. And obviously they're still in high school, so they still do like high school things and have high school friends and high school social interactions. But their ability
1: to mentally process something
0: is just higher. Well, their ability to abstract it. Yes. To think of multiple eventualities, the ability to symbolically represent Uh, things, the ability to uh, understand doing something that they don't enjoy, right, Mm -hmm. and, like, reap the benefits of it. Those are all abstract reasoning skills. I mean, most adults kind of suck at it. Right. Um, You know, I think about what we do here, and I think about the, like, I'm about to have a one-on-one with a couple students today. It's going to be really bad. They, you know, they have been abusing our schedule. Um, They are... Like, ineffective with their teams. Mm -hmm. And it's all about their ability to abstract how their decisions are going to impact the team. Yeah. And it's all about how they... They just can't keep multiple scenarios running in their head at the same time. Yeah. And it's not a deficiency. It's just where they are. And I remember being like this, right? Right. And I wonder... And I think this is my last question for you, Dennis. A school like ours that has license to do whatever we want, right? Yeah. Obviously, within the rule of law, right? Like, how do we address that problem? I was worried you were going to ask that
1: because <laughs> I was thinking, I was thinking, man, I hope you get into how you are going to address that with those kids. Um, I think for for us at the core, it is honesty. It is like almost honesty to a fault. you know, actually, it's not to a fault. it's perfect. Like you just have to be open and honest with them that, that you are unable I think that you are unable to do this right now. You are showing me you aren't unable to do this right now with your behavior. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I think it is is because you're really bad at abstracting and being able to imagine multiple futures, one in which you do a thing and one in which you don't and what we are trying to to get you to work on and get you to understand is that that those are choices that you can make and you are in charge of that choice but to be a good decision maker to be a good rational human being you have to imagine multiple futures that don't agree with each other and if you can't i mean and we're going we're here to help you do that
0: mm-hmm.
1: so sometimes i will be your imagination
0: so the the gutsy move on Big's part has been to give students control over their attendance, obviously within the rule of law, Yeah. Uh, to give students control over where they attend when they work, mm-hmm. to give students control over how they communicate, to give students control over how they communicate accessible material. I mean, it's a lot of control. We yep. do a lot of prompting. So I'm going to sit down with a kid, who has been here now for almost a year, and he is going to tell me all the reasons why his decisions not to come, not to attend, not to join his team meetings, are based on legitimate excuses that I think he really believes, Mm -hmm. right? And I have to get him to understand that his abstract reasoning level is below his physical age, and that he tends to choose whatever feels the best to him in the, the right. concrete now. Right.
1: Um, like, it feels like the thing that you need to do is to make him understand that his first instinct needs to be paused. Right. And just...
0: But here's the deep question. Be- Can he do that? I mean, is every other school right and we are wrong? Where every other school says we're going to control the student's time, put them in a seat, in a place, know when that is, and track it, mm-hmm. which we don't do in the, in the same way. Yeah. Right? Right? Uh, that that this room is the only room where physics is done. Mm-hmm. For the fa- I mean, I know teachers say that's not true, yeah. but to the, to the user experience is that right. that uh, the way that you're going to show me proficiency on these all important standards, I decide that and you comply, right? I don't care how much control you give kids within that framework. Yeah. If you're telling them what time they have to be somewhere, what room does physics? Yeah. social studies the best, and how you're going to be assessed. That is a kneecapping of the abstract reasoning process. Yeah. And what do I do with this kid? Because he has demonstrated that he cannot do any of those three right on his own. Yeah. But he's still here in our school where we give students that control. Mm-hmm. What do I do?
1: I think, I think what you're talking about is two systems that are so different that the logistical nightmare of a 3,000-student high school to give that freedom would be impossible. You know, so they are making the economic decision. Like they're they're choosing. We get to make a different choice mm-hmm. because the way that we are structured is so. I think much we should do an entire
0: better. episode on small learning communities. Yeah. And the I economies think of scale yeah, there.
1: Absolutely. And so can he can he understand that he is not at that level of abstraction? I think so. And can he grow into that level of abstraction? I think so.
0: See, I, I'm actually feeling a little bit down on this. Yeah. I wonder if, because his brain has not fully developed in that area, anything I say actually, about it will come across as punishment or reward.
1: The thing, the thing that I guess I'm, I'm really holding on to is not that he becomes good at abstraction right now. It's that instead of just blindly choosing his first instinct, he has, a, he has that quick pause. Mm-hmm. And that, that flicker of doubt that that will get him eventually i think to think about multiple futures in that space Mm -hmm. you're trying to help him create the space to be able to abstract where in math class i think where this falls apart is it all feels so important all the time that the space that you would have to understand is just glossed over right because student is out
0: Well, they're too worried about the algorithm. Yeah, absolutely. The repetition, the the workload. They're too
1: worried about that that symbol means something different. Mm -hmm. That you can't even create the space to have the understanding of the meaning of the symbol.
0: Yeah, I'm really proud of the way that we teach math here. um, That we focus completely on the need for the tool, the technology, right? Mm -hmm. And so we ask, you know, we spend an unbelievable amount of time asking questions that are worth answering like I call them Saturday questions. Yeah. You questions you would actually care about on a day where you have freedom. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I, I ask the students very, very calmly if they agree with me that they probably need to learn a new math technology to handle that. And when the answer from them is yes, I, I know that I've engaged the concrete part of their brain, that they can at least think of this problem, this data set, yeah. this algorithm as a necessary thing. hmm um, and to me, that's laying the, the framework for this.
1: I think, I, and and I think this carries over into all different realms mm-hmm. of of what we teach when we direct instruct. Like my first question, and a continuous question for each student is, why do you need to learn this? Mm-hmm. And if they cannot come up with a good answer.
0: I don't. I don't really teach it. You got to wait. You have to like wait. It goes back yeah. in the back pocket, right? Because I think with students who are, and this is, I think, maybe the most important point. I think I'd like to end on this point. The teenagers are in a very unique spot, and I, if anyone who's a high school teacher is listening to this podcast, I'd like you to just think very hard about the fact that teenagers are in this spot of the fuzziness between a brain transition. Right? Mm-hmm. And whatever that means to you, whatever neurology you need to read to like understand what I'm talking about, whatever. Like, the, the, the fuzziness between being a fully concrete reasoner, like a middle schooler, mm-hmm. and, a, and a majority abstract thinker, like a fully grown adult, that fuzziness is the uniqueness. Right. And to me, that's why high school should stop looking like tiny little colleges. Right? Right. That's why we have to start probably grouping students not by age but by some other measurement, Metric, yep. which no one has, by the way. I don't right. have a good solution for it. Um, and I wonder, Dennis, like, what, what is your feeling about this concept of the, the fuzziness being the state, not concrete or abstract?
1: Yeah, the fuzz. I mean, I, I just love that terminology. I love that thinking because I, I do think of their brains as these tiny little, like, uh, like when the Death Eaters are sucking out the soul in Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Like their brain is that scatter, Mm -hmm. right, right in that zone and helping them understand that process where they get to be more in tune with what they're thinking and what they're feeling kind of all the time. Mm -hmm. Like to me, that is part of the, that is the magic where you can start understanding yourself in that way at this age, man, the feedback I've gotten from kids is it is much easier for them to be introspective and metacognitive once their brain kind of gets out of the fuzziness Mm -hmm. and gets out onto the other side. But pretending like they're on the other side is the most frustrating thing in the world. That's how you get required algebra too. Absolutely. That's how you get a bunch of kids that are angry to be there, that don't understand the point, that can't figure out what they're doing, and that are too afraid to ask a question because they assume that they are wrong Mm
0: -hmm. all the time. And that's when you know you've got a broken system. Yes. So our seven minutes is up. (laughs) And the time box has officially closed on this discussion. Thank you so much for listening. Have a fantastic week.